So e, we're recording this uh, after a full first day of lockdown in Brisbane. H- how'd you fare today? Look pretty good. Like day one's good. Got a PlayStation. Um, <laughs> got a got a bunch of stuff to keep myself amused. So day day one's okay. But let's see how we're going in in about a week once I've finished everything that I've got on PlayStation. <laughs> well, yeah. Look, you did say a week, and uh, I think there's some murmurings around that we're not going to lift the lockdown on Tuesday. So. Yeah, I think we're going to have to figure out what to do. And luckily, the Olympics are on, so keep us somewhat busy as well. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Hey, mate, uh, I know it's been a couple of weeks since the NBA finals, but I, I always think it's worth giving some time for the dust to settle and not overreact in the moment like I'm, I'm sure all of the pundits have. And you would have listened to all the analysts um, in the States talking about what it all means and, of course, always premature with their predictions and but you know it's a 24-hour news cycle so they they need to do what they need to do which uh, luckily we don't and so you know two weeks removed uh from from the finals milwaukee on top six uh six game series they won for two Giannis with a 50 piece to seal it uh what did you make of that final game i've really liked it because it finally shut people. If all the talk about Giannis not being the best player on that team, just dead. Like, and everybody's going to pretend they never had that opinion. So it's. I just thought it was. It was incredible, and the whole team played bad except for Giannis. Mm-hmm. Like they were down at the half. It wasn't looking too good, and then he came out that third quarter. I was like, okay, this is a guy who's just not losing today, and he he was everywhere, both ends of the court. So it was. In terms of closeout games, you know, I can't, I, I, like, it's good enough that I would have to sit down and think. I'd have to go through historically through all the big closeout games to go, where does it rank? Like, it's, it, it's up there. Like, in, in my lifetime, the only one that I look at where I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that one's probably better, and even then it's debatable, is MJ's 98 title. Like, that's, that's mm. the only one where I go, that one's, that one's better. I don't have another one in my head. Like that that game was that good that I just thought this is this is incredible. He just single-handedly dragged them all the way to the finish line and it was just it was incredible. Like it was an awesome win. It's an it's 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 I wouldn't say it's capped off an incredible story of like the life of Giannis because his story is still being written. Like he's 26. Mm, he is. He's, he's got, uh, he's got most improved player, defensive player of the year. He's got two MVPs, a finals MVP, and he's a champion. He's 26 years old. And he's like everything, everything he's dead set first ballot hall of famer. Everything from here is just, you know, is, is icing. Like it's, yeah. it, he's, he is set up extremely well to have an all-time great career. And that he did that coming off that, like, I, th- I thought he'd blown out his knee. Mm-hmm. And that he came back and he had that whole series. And by the end of it, he was the strongest person on the court. Like, DeAndre Ayrton started well, and Giannis just broke him down over time. Like, they, he, he just couldn't keep up. And, you know, once, once Saric went down and he had to play 40 minutes a night, that was that was kind of it. Like Giannis is just a beast. Yeah, you know, that he can play with that intensity for that many minutes, you know, on both ends of the court. It's you know, it, it was just a sensational performance. It it was, man. And you know, just to add to the whole legacy of that match is his 17 of 19 from the free throw line, which I don't think anyone at all saw coming, not even Giannis himself. Uh, I mean, he will, he will tell you otherwise, of course, that he's always practicing, but there was nothing in his history that told us he will have a, th- that much of an insane shooting night from the free throw line. You were saying hack him. Like before <laughs> the game, I was like, just hack him. Like let's start hacking him, see what happens. And it's, what happens like 90% from yeah. the line. And you're like, well, that didn't work. Like what do we do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's, and, what's next? And, you know, like in, in the context of the game as well, it, it also meant that as a team, they shot 25 of 29 from the free throw line, which is which is remarkable. And, you know, they're getting 29 shots. It's a whole, you know, different story given this size as well to 16 of 19 from Phoenix. And we always know Phoenix are a great shooting team uh, when it comes to their free throws. But, you know, if Giannis goes by his normal percentage, he's probably making 10 of 19, you know, 11 of 19. And that's the ball game it's a seven point game when it was all said and done and, and I, you know, without sort of reducing it too much, but ultimately that was the ball game. And you think about the, 
the number of momentum shifts that could have happened if he goes down to the line and takes a couple of shots and he misses both, like he does. We're not sort of trying to come up with some crazy hypothetical here because he's done that before. And you're looking at a different game. But, you know, like he said, he wasn't losing uh, that game. He took that team on his back and he got him there. I think I told you about Drew Holiday that he sort of owed him a game and that's where he stops. And look, I know he does great work defensively, but geez, he was shocking on on offense in that game. I think he shot four of 19 and he was a complete non-factor really. Chris Middleton, a little bit better, but still six of 13. It, it was the Giannis show, right? Mm. He, he really carried that team as sort of a singular performance uh, to lift your team. And I agree with you. I mean, I was even thinking about LeBron's closeout game seven versus the Warriors, but I think that was more of a team effort still than what Giannis had to do uh, versus the Suns um, in, in that game six. So I agree. I think it's, you know, one of the greatest um, individual performances ever in any playoffs. And that's not, you know, hyperbole or prisoner of the moment. That's just uh, the truth of what's, of what he's done and what happened. And I think, you know, going back to what you said, the pressure's been lifted now, right? Milwaukee's got its first championship in 50-odd in years with, you know, we mentioned Lou Alcinda way back when. Uh, he's a champion now. No one can take that away from him. You saw the relief and the um, just how comfortable he felt after the game and, and seeing sort of a side to him that we didn't see as often before. You know, he went to, I think, Chick-fil-A and ordered a 50-piece um, <laughs> just because and and you know making all types of jokes and and his press conference was also a, a pretty sort of legendary one when it comes to post games so look it, it was the Giannis show and, and that's why we're giving him the plaudits he wasn't going to lose on the flip side Devin Booker you know didn't have himself a very good game he went zero from seven on the three-point line eight for 22 and I remember telling you e, before the, the series started that compared to all of the other sort of young up-and-comers, Booker seemed to have the the least pressure on him because it was more the CP3 narrative than the Devin Booker narrative, even though um, objectively Devin's a better player right now than CP3, or is meant to be anyway. He's the core of the team. He's he's the one who, who should be carrying the offense, etc. And I felt like he got away with a bit compared to, let's say, if Luca was in his position and he had that stat line. Uh, or potentially Trey Young was in his position and had that stat line. I don't think they would have gotten away with it the way Devin has post-game. But it's a young team. E, by all accounts, CP3 is coming back. I still hold, based on what I told you after game five, that I don't see them making the finals um, again, the way they're constructed. You know, now that it's past game six, what's your thoughts on the Phoenix Suns? You know, we we're, were kind of in the same headspace on that with them going to have a bit of a tough time. Um, and I think that's still the case. You know, the CP3 is not getting younger. I, f- I, I think as well there's, you know, DeAndre Ayton, he had such a good start to the, the, the postseason. And I think he got banged around a little bit there. I think there's going to be a little bit of him dealing with some demons and figuring out how he's going to kind of come back. Um, but the the West is deep, and I just you know I think what you saw is that um, you know as presently constructed they can't beat the Bucks. If the Bucks get through, they're going to lose that every time because they just don't have an answer for Giannis. He's and not just him, like the whole team. They're big, they're long, they and the Phoenix aren't a particularly big team. So it's you know I, I think they're always going to have that boogeyman. Uh, I think they've got to make some changes. They need some backups. They need some, like, they need a backup center, like, which they, they really need that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, everybody else is reloading. You know, Westbrook's heading to the Lakers this week. I'm not sure what the fit's going to be like, but no one's sitting still. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, everybody's in there making changes to their team, trying to upgrade where they can. Um, and the reality is that they're, you know, they got through with a lot of people being injured that they were playing against so you know if all of those people come back fully healthy i don't i don't know if they get through mm, yeah. absolutely right eric and similarly to to milwaukee and that's why championships are so hard to come by and, and if things fall your way you just got to make the most of it and i think the general consensus is if the nets are healthy the bucks don't make it this far and honestly they were just an inch of kevin durant's you know, foot away from not even making it. Uh, 
to the next round um, to play uh, the Hawks, uh, as it were. Right. So that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes, and they made the most of it. And looking forward to next season, if the team is as currently constructed, even with some tweaks, and again, if the Nets are healthy, and which is a big if, and I know we keep talking about these ifs, I don't think the Bucks come in as favorites, though, uh, if everyone's fully healthy in the East. No, I think the the thing that nobody's talking about yet is that now that Giannis has won a title, mm. would he move out of Milwaukee? Because <laughs> he was like, oh, the job's done. We did it. And I was like, okay, that's that's fine. But, you know, now now that like the future of your team is tied to Middleton and Drew Holiday because you traded away everything to get them. And it was a good trade-off because you you now have a ring. But how are you going to feel in two years' time if it's if it's not looking that good and you're you're not able to get past some of these other teams? You know, how do you rebuild that team, or uh, are you going to kind of pull up stumps and and head somewhere else? Mm. You know, I I don't think they'll be the favorite in the East. I'm still waiting to see what happens with the Ben Simmons thing in Philly and to see what they're going to come back with next season. Um, but I think if you get a healthy Nets team, you know, I, I have doubts about it, um, but Same. it seems it seems to work. But, but that being said, they've got a lot of people who are off contract that they've got to like, it's almost like they're rebuilding their whole team. Mm-hmm. But if you get the, if you get those three main guys together and they stay healthy, there's so much firepower there that it's just ridiculous. You're right. And, and they proved it. I think we just all needed to see what it looked like. For mine on paper, it just felt like they would they would lack a lot defensively. However, their offense was just so great and that firepower was so strong that it didn't really matter what was happening on defense. They were just going to outscore you every time. Uh, it reminded yeah. me of the Galacticos a bit uh, of Real Madrid, where you're like, okay, you know, they had a decent backline. Casillas was in goals, but really, it was the fact that Ronaldo and Beckham and Vigo and all these and Raúl and all these boys were just going to kick goals and they were going to win. Yeah, um, yeah, they just had so many, so many different weapons. And they've also got like in KD and Harden and to a lesser extent Kyrie, they can flip up the way they play in a game completely. And they, yeah. they can do it on the fly in real time. So they just they just shred you. And like Harden's passing is ridiculous. And you just didn't see it as much in, in Houston. As, as you got to see it in Brooklyn. And I think, you know, hopefully he'll come in a little bit less fat than he came in last season, seeing as he's not trying to get himself <laughs> traded, which I, I, I actually think that's why he got hurt, was mm. he got he got fat. He got too big. And he, yep. he kind of took things easy as part of his plan for forcing himself out of Houston. But, you know, he, as a, you know, there's the new rules coming in around how they're going to enforce fouls and, he's going to have to adjust his game, but he's so good. He'll adjust his game. Yeah. I've got like people are saying it's going to shut it down. I was like, no, he's just going to go look somewhere else. And his stat sheet's going to look a little bit different and he's just too good. So I think that the Bucs aren't going to be the favorites. There's, you know, they Durant got so close to dragging them there single-handedly. And then if he comes back next year and he's healthy and just one of those guys, not even both, if, if they're there, then, then for me, it's done. Yeah, agree. I think uh, James Harden showed his sort of basketball IQ by adjusting so quickly. And even Kyrie, you know, said to the press that the moment uh, Harden got there, they agreed that Harden was going to be the point guard. And and that worked really well for them. I think on the evidence, uh, they would have won it all. Like you said, Eric, no one's staying still, but also a few um, Daryl Morey, I don't know if you can call them jokes or genuine trade requests or what was happening there, but <laughs> he was asking some stupid stuff to ship Ben Simmons out of Philly, which almost makes me think, are they really wanting to ship him out? Or is it is it sort of just a ploy to say, look, we tried to trade him, but um, we sort of had to keep him and they're, and they're banking on him, actually working on himself in the summer and coming back with some semblance of a mid-range to stretch the floor a bit. What do you make of what Moore is requesting for for Ben Simmons? The, the the trades the trades were ridiculous. So like Golden State, you know, <laughs> it was it was like Wiggins, Wiseman, both their lottery picks this year, um, and a future first rounder for for Ben Simmons. I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. But then the 
the the Toronto one was even worse. It was like we want OG Ananobi, we want Lowry, we want Van Vliet and your fourth pick from, from the draft. And you just like, no, nobody will ever say ever say yes to that. And he's not stupid. Like he is a very good GM. And I think it is a case of we're going to throw it out there and like one, see if anybody's dumb enough to do it. Because if if somebody said yes to those, you do it instantly. But I sure. I think part of it is, and you you can't see what the offers are on the other side of it, but I feel like he's probably getting lowballed for him because he just had such a bad kind of postseason. And if if you get, you know, if he has a good run in the lead up to the trade deadline, people are going to remember his playmaking is awesome and his defense is ridiculously good. And you are looking at a good player who does need some development done, but he's not trash and he shouldn't be traded as a trash player. And if I was going to bet money, it would be that he doesn't like the offers that he's getting. It's his way of kind of flipping off all the other GMs in the league. And he's just saying, we're going to play him for a little bit potentially. And then, you know, see how he, see what the trades look like once it, once it gets going, unless he's got his eyes on, you know, somebody really big, that he's kind of more interested in because the Warriors and, and the Raptors, they, they don't have that big kind of marquee player that you could kind of bring in and, and throw in. So you're kind of looking at Beal, you're looking at Lillard, Lillard and just thinking, can I, you know, maybe can I fashion this into something that gets me a look at one of those players? Interesting when you bring up Beal, I'm just wondering, um, I mean, obviously he'll fit well. He can definitely shoot the ball and he'll stretch the floor for Embiid. What would Washington want? It's almost funny because if you want to get Beal, in terms of fit, it works really well. And then, so is it enough to, you can't do it just a Beal and Ben Simmons. I think Washington will want more. Oh, yeah. You'd have to, you'd have to put in more. I mean, you you know, you might be looking at Tybal being packaged up in that trade mm-hmm. and being sent over. Um, you know, their picks aren't going to be worth much unless they've got, like, I'd have to look at what they've got, whether they've got somebody else's picks that they can then kind of trade off. But I don't think Philly are going to have particularly great picks while while Embiid is healthy. Mm. So I think that, um, you know, Bill would fit. I think you he, he raises some other questions around what you want your point guard to kind of look like mm. um, so you probably need to kind of go fishing around to see if there's a, a point guard out there to kind of supplement him so you can just let Beal be Beal and and be a, a scoring threat and potentially not run the whole team but he's probably good enough to do it so I, I, yeah. I think I think that's a I think that's a better fit than Lillard because mm. but but then again maybe Lillard would change the way he plays a little bit if he's got Embiid there. You know, I, I feel like part of the way Lillard plays, the way he plays is you're like, you know, you got CJ, but he can be a bit hot and cold. And then who else, who else is there? Nurkic. Yeah. He's when, he's, when he's on the court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's, you know, I'd, I, I want to see both those guys in competitive situations where they can mm-hmm. win. And I do like Portland. I've got, I've, I think nothing of the Wizards. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> if, if, if you know, oh, the only no, time no. I would remember that they existed was occasionally John Wall's contract would come up, and I'd be like, "Wow, that's bad." <laughs> like I'd hate to be the Wizards, but um, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, hopefully they both end up in a position to potentially win a title. Yeah. Now you'll have another reason to remember the Wizards, Eric, because they will have KCP, Montrezl Harrell, Harrell and Carl Kuzma on their team and uh, that's all in a trade by which the Lakers acquired Russell Westbrook to join Anthony Davis and LeBron James in LA and right now Eric the Lakers have four players signed to next year and that's those three and Marc Gasol and no one else so I don't know what do you make of of this trade who's gonna shoot <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is the Gasol one have the best Percentage from the three point oh, line I, out of the four. I, he, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he, he probably does. I would not be surprised if Marcus Ole has the best three point shooting percentage out of everybody currently signed to the the Lakers. I I looked at it and just thought, you know, it's it's cool because I want to see how it works. But I don't 
I don't know how somebody who needs the ball as much as Russ needs the ball is going to work with LeBron. Uh, The fit just seems kind of weird. And there are no shooters. And like those three, so AD, LeBron, and, um, and, and Russell, I don't know how much is left in the cap after you pay those guys. So not only do you not have shooters, like you traded KCP, who was probably the only real 3 and D guy you had on the team. You know, I know they were looking at Buddy Heald, but I don't think they're going to have the assets to kind of make any trade like that kind of happen now. So you've, you've got no shooting and you've only got budgets for like vet minimums and mid-level exceptions and, and everything. So you, you're going to have to try get sort of bargain, bargain basement three-point shooters. So it's just going to be hard to make it work because everybody wants people who can shoot threes. So you, you need people to say, I'm going to go play in LA to try win a ring and I'm willing to take a hit on my pay to make that happen. And as much as NBA players say they want to win, you don't often see people taking a pay cut to go to a better situation. Very true, Eric. I agree with everything you said. I think the only saving grace to this is that LeBron has made it work with many other guards in the past. And if there's anyone, and it's a big if, but if there is anyone that can make Russell adjust his game to fit with LeBron and Aaron Davis, I think is LeBron is the only guy in the league that could potentially have enough clout and push you to actually adjust some of your game. I think there are positives to this. I think the positive, one of the positives is the fact that LeBron won't have to do the ball carrying and and facilitating as much as he has had to do so far at the Lakers. I think Russell can take over that responsibility in for large chunks of time. He does average a triple double, so the man can assist the ball so I think that's you know a part of his game that goes a bit um unnoticed or maybe underappreciated sometimes so there's that and then also obviously when LeBron has to be on the bench the Lakers seem to have a significant dip when he's sitting down and having Russell Westbrook on the on the court will just help uh, mitigate for that so at any one time you're having Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis if LeBron James is sitting down I think that's still a pretty good combo uh, to have on any team, right? So there are positives to that, absolutely. Obviously, that's all banking on Russell also willing to change his ways a little that late in his career uh, for the chance to actually win something uh, potentially. And LeBron's just, you know, he's on his last legs now, let's face it, in terms of being an actual star that will carry a team. I think one season, maybe two tops is what he's got in him. And if anything, you know, getting eliminated early this season might help him a bit with his recovery for the next one and and seeing how he plays. That's really it. But as you said, Eric, after they pay the three, which is, I think, in the region of 100-something plus, it's I was gonna say, I'm sure it's got 100 because Russ has, Russ has like 44 million or something this year. No, no, like, like it's stupid, right? Like even I remember when LeBron re-signed with the Lakers and he had a stupid contract as well, right? So... He had a he has a two year eighty five million dollar deal, <laughs> right? So that's another forty million hit, and then I think Anthony Davis signed for the max, right? When he did sign uh, for the Lakers, so yeah, that's another hundred and ninety million over five years from Anthony Davis. So you're looking at another thirty five there. That's one hundred and twenty mil nearly. I thought the cap was less than that, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, isn't the cap like one thirty-eight or something? I don't know, man. It's it's crazy, right? It's crazy. It's, and, it's just uh, ridiculous. Yeah. And and you're right. There are there are good bits. What you were saying about somebody taking a bit of the load off LeBron, I think that's good. The other bit is taking a bit of the load off Anthony Davis as well, because now you've got a guy who will go in there and even though he's small, he will bang with centers. He will chase everything. And then all of a sudden you've got a guy who's willing to go in there and do that cleanup that we know AD doesn't really want to do. Mm. So you've got a guy who will chase down everything, will chase rebounds down um, and allow AD to kind of step away from doing a little bit of that stuff, which I think is going to be a big positive because he has a lot of trouble staying healthy so there are there are upsides Mm. to this i think they're going to be an interesting team to watch in transition now because like westbrook's just a a demon in transition 
but it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I feel like they've just looked at the nets and gone, okay, we're going to get three ridiculously talented players, and then we'll kind of plug in the we'll get what we can to plug in around it. But I think what what we've frequently seen is people getting you know contracts bought out or going to you know finding ways to move to those teams kind of ring chasing. So it it wouldn't surprise me either if they got you know, some underpaid people there who have made their way there through contract buyouts and a couple of other kind of weird and wonderful ways. But um, I am hoping that they're going to be good enough to smash the Clippers because that will make me super happy. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I just I want them to be competitive and I want them to be healthy. And, you know, I want all of the big teams to be out there because, you know, there's some sensational talent in the West. Mm. And look, now Alex Caruso signing becomes important. Who would have thought? And he's a restricted yeah. free agent and yeah. THT as well. Um, Dennis yeah. Schreiber. And, you know, for some of these, for some of these guys, like Caruso, Caruso is awesome. Like at, at what he does, he is such a great role player. And he's the kind of role player you could plug into pretty much any kind of team and he's going to do good work while he's there. It's it's going to be hard for them to keep him because I think somebody will pay them, pay more than what they're willing to with the available cap space that they've got. So this trade has basically thrown all their chips in and they will live and die by this trade unless they trade somebody in the middle of the season and just decided it doesn't work. So I I think there'll be a pretty quick pull of the trigger if they start playing and they just say this isn't working, we've got to kind of move this around. I think they'll they'll look to do it kind of pretty quick. But I don't think they've got any picks. I mean, I, I think they've they, got like they don't have anything till 2026 or something that they can move. Yeah, so they even obviously they moved the pick this year as part of the trade for for Westbrook. So mm. they don't have that either. Yeah, look, it's it is all chips in, but that that's what tends to happen when LeBron's on a team. Uh, it's win now, it's take care of now, and if you're a Miami Heat franchise who has smart people running it, when LeBron leaves, you might have a couple of lean years, but you tend to turn it around fairly quickly, which they have. And if you're a Cleveland Cavaliers franchise, which is poorly run. Uh, even without LeBron, and despite the the number of picks they luck into these Cavs is is insane. I mean, if you look at the number of number one picks they had over the last ten years, and then even the, I think they had pick number three. Uh, in in did this you draft. see how sad Mobley looked when he got picked <laughs> by Cleveland? I was looking at him. I was like, man, <laughs> play with Kevin Love and Omar Caspi and, and, oh, and, and, and Kevin Kevin Love is like trying to get his contract bought out or traded or oh, whatever man. it is. It's you know how did he end up on the Olympic team? That was just yeah, is just another, atrocious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's so. but Cleveland, yeah. I, I I agree. I agree with you. When you've got LeBron, you have to do everything you can to kind of win now, um, because there's not too many players who are going to give you a better opportunity than him. So you may as well throw it all in. Would you rather have? you know, buy potentially buy into the the luxury tax for a year or two with the chance to win? Or would you rather save that money and spend 10 years in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, not <laughs> being able to do anything? Because like between Kobe's ring and LeBron's ring, you, know, you had a decade there. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it can happen even to great franchises like the Lakers. So I, I think that it's it's live by the sword, die by the sword. They did what they had, what they thought was kind of the best option with what was available and well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. I think it's been a decent NBA season all considered and it's uh, the restart's going to be upon us very quickly, Eric. There's not a big preseason left and with the Olympics on, it's going to look a lot shorter and shorter by the time the players come back from, from the NBA, from the Olympic games and, and get into it. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears now. We're, let's talk a bit of Olympics. So speaking of, uh, you know, the Olympics, what are we today? Today is Sunday. So it's been about nine days since the official start of the Olympics, even though some of the team sports had started before. And, mate, the Aussies are having an amazing uh, Olympics. I think uh, we've beaten our record for the most gold 
uh, at any Olympics and especially in the in the pool where the previous best was eight in Melbourne in 56 and we've managed to beat that. So 31 total medals, 14 gold, three silver. We don't like coming in second and, and then 14 bronze. Some sort of random ones, but we'll, we'll keep those for a bit later. Nine golds in the swimming. And uh, I think really big shout out to, to the to the women's uh, swimming crew, right? That whole team, I think they've won the 4x100 freestyle, the 4x100 medley, both are amazing wins. Uh, and then um, just Emma McEwen, Titmus and Kaylee McEwen, one with a W, one without a W. They always mess me up those last names. Just amazing goals. And they really took it to Katie Ledecky, especially Ariane um, Titmus, who won the 400 and 200 meters freestyle. Uh, and then Katie Ledecky won the 800. Ariane got the silver there. Emma McEwen just absolutely smashing it in the really short distances, you know, winning the 50 meters freestyle and winning the 100 meter freestyle. And they've just completely s- smashed it, mate. So I think it sort of changed a bit my tune on the Olympic Games. I remember before they started, I wasn't very excited about them. And it's just sort of much of a muchness, given everything that's been happening and sort of knowing there won't be any fans and the way Tokyo was prepping for it. And even right now, there's restrictions all around Japan and Tokyo with the number of COVID cases they have. So it is sort of happening in a bit of a bubble um, right now, the Olympics. But I think all of those wins across all of those sports as well, and we'll come to the, a few of the others in a second, have um, have really been a positive light to, to Australia. And I've, people have just been pumped about it. They've sort of embraced this team uh, yet again after a couple of very disappointing um, showings in, in Olympics, especially for the swimming crew. You know, how, how do you feel about the Olympics sort of now that we're halfway through, Eric, especially with the amount of gold that the Aussies are winning? And has it changed how your sentiment before it started at all? Look, it, short answer is no. I found it really hard to, to mm. get into, into this Olympics I mean, I, I just think that the marketing and everything for it, like, I didn't even know that the the opening ceremony was on. And then, you know, I was just started seeing pictures come through on, on my social media. And I just thought, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit surprising. Um, I do, you know, we were talking about it before we joined up where I was saying, I like that we seem to be winning these medals in sports that I consider proper Olympic sports. <laughs> but the, but the women, like the, the women have killed it. When you go through and you look at the medals that are there, the, the, the women have smashed it and it's been, it's been swimming and rowing mm. and like there, that's what's really held, held it up. And, you know, I don't follow the swimming all year round. Um, so I'm a lot more dependent on. <laughs> don't think any of us do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lot more dependent on people having to feed me the information on it. Uh, and I just, th- I think that was kind of done pretty badly. Uh, and also the 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 seven app is terrible like finding anything on there is terrible like finding replays of stuff is 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 difficult so it's i think part of it is just like the usability of kind of the the different sources has made it a little bit difficult to to get into it this time around look fair and look, the app has been shocking, right? I mean, how hard is it to find a proper schedule for things and, and know when to expect it to happen? Just always felt like it was a couple of clicks too many to get what you needed to get out of the app. And even though they've been spreaking, they've got 45 different channels there and you could watch so many different sports. I still no feel one needs that the it. There's like, there's, there's like 10 sports that matter in the whole Olympics. <laughs> the rest is the rest is like, oh, hey, bonus, you know, yeah, bonus yeah. somebody, somebody won an archery medal or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Where, but, you know, it's just you've got to wade through all of this stuff to, to find the, the content that you need. I mean, it just feels like, and it's just shooting off on a tangent. This is this is about supposed to be about sport, and we're here complaining about user experience on an app. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like it's like nobody actually thought through how somebody that that likes sports um, yeah. wants to view the information that's there. Yeah. And like I, you know, we were talking about how tonight there's the the hundred meter final, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. That now lines up with my Formula One start. <laughs> like it's. I have relentlessly watched sport and mm. and if I can't wrap my head around it, what hope does the kind of average person have? 
So yeah. it's, I just thought that um, I'd probably be more into it if it was just easy, a little bit easier to follow than it currently is. Look, I agree. I remember struggling to find our boomers statistics uh, on the website as well for the Olympics website, just the way to get there again, way too many clicks for me to get to the box score of the team. Whereas as you and I know, it's almost, and this is how I feel like they've approached both the website and maybe the app and that's just the Olympics um, in general is they've gone with a singular user experience for every single sport. And they've said, we're going to build everything that we're going to build everything within that, that type of uh, platform or, or template. We're just going to follow it. Whereas the right way to do it would have been actually picking up the nuances of every sport and knowing that how you report on a sport actually, you know, matters in terms of consumption by the fans and putting what's relevant to that sport where it needs to be so that it's easy to pick up, whether it's basketball, uh, soccer, or any of the individual sports as well. So look, I think they haven't done a good job of it either, but on a positive note, uh, Eric, just a shout out for my favorite sort of um, gold out of the 14 we've won is Jessica Fox's canoe slalom win. Well, like I call it whitewater rafting. (laughs) That's what it looks like to me. And mate, that was an incredible, um, uh, you know, slalom that she she ran. I don't know what even you what's the official name to call it, but the way she went through those rapids and through the different gates um, without a single error or touching any of the the little poles that come down there, and just to, just thinking about the core strength and arm work that you need to do in the water to actually go through all of these, no mistakes, and have the best time. And, you know, she's been close now for a couple of Olympics, finishing third. She's number one in the world. I think she got a bronze in the kayak event, uh, which uh, she had a couple of mistakes there. I remember watching that live as well as it happened. So just the sheer relief, Eric, on her face. But if you remember like LeBron's first ring or MJ's first ring, especially, you know, when he's, and then when his dad passed, when he won that one uh, later, but the sheer relief on her face as she crossed that finish line, I almost felt that relief for her, um, given all the hard work and everything she's done to get there. So just a shout out to Jess Fox. I thought um, she was fantastic in that. Yeah, when you watch people who have been, you know, have been the best person but just not put it together in the Olympics mm. because it's not like I can, I'm, I can come back next year. It's like four years. And then if you've been there for, you know, a couple of different Olympics, you're often looking at like two generations of competitors. So it's, you know, when somebody wins it, wins it late. I remember watching, um, I don't know if you ever watched the kind of middle distance running. Um, El Garouge from Morocco was Mm. this ridiculous middle distance runner. I loved watching him run. And he bombed it in Sydney and like he's he like with the pacer going out and you know it was just the nightmare of all nightmares and then he managed to come back and win it at the next Olympics and same thing it's just like he's the relief on his face because you know I think for these ultra competitive people they're thinking about it all the time and it's, you know, it, it becomes this kind of all-absorbing kind of activity that you've got. To, to be the best and not execute it at the time that it really matters would eat you alive for, mm-hmm. for the rest of your career. Like, I'd, I feel like I'd be depressed about that part of my career, like, forever. Yeah. So, you know, I think that um, it's, it's awesome that she, she managed to kind of stick it all together when it, when it really mattered and, and get that kind of bit of peace of mind. You know, the, the mm. mental aspect of of being a professional athlete is something that I just, mm. you know, it, it gets talked about, but I don't think it gets talked about in the same way as like the physical prowess of the athlete mm. gets talked about. Mate, it's a great segue, E, for another part of um, talking about mental health and really getting it all together for the Olympics or any type of championship. So champion US gymnast Simone Biles now famously and very publicly, I think everyone who knows the Olympics or doesn't really care has heard about this now, pulled out of the team event um, first and then that sort of snowballed into her pulling out of the individual floor exercise and then her other individual events as well, again, citing her mental health and uh, 
you know, the issues that she was facing uh, over the last sort of few days leading into uh, the Olympics. And she just felt like she couldn't compete to the level that she needed to, um, you know, as expected, you know, God bless uh, the American public and um, their polarizing opinions about everything uh, in this world. And with all the positive messages that um, Simone received, she also obviously received a lot of vitriol and hate and uh, judgmental uh, messages uh, about her decision and the fact that, you know, this is the peak performance and this is sort of the, um, you know, the culmination of a career and you work your whole life to be at that point. And this is where you're sort of meant to fight through these things to um, to compete and not cost your team the gold. Because ultimately they didn't win gold. I think they won the silver, uh, which is another thing to talk about the American public in a second and their view of, and I just said one silver and they, they sort of um, degrade the other two medals. Like if you either won gold or you won nothing as far as they're concerned, that's a, a separate topic we might get to later. What do you say, Eric, to those who have that view that, you know what, it's it's the peak of performance. You are the self-proclaimed goat of the sport, right, with her famous um, little studded sort of goat um, on her um, costumes, et cetera. Um, what do you say to those people who say, you know what, you've reached that, you are the best of the best, and you're really just meant to fight through this and, and do your three minutes on, on the um, – the floor or the poles or whatever it is that you're meant to do uh, and get it done. And if you're going to be, call yourself the goat, then really you shouldn't be um, stepping away. I think that if she had blown out her knee, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. Um, I think that, you know, we, we build these people up into being these superhuman things. And at the end of the day, they're just people. You know, I've, I, I look at it as, you know, I don't think you should be praised for being strong for quitting because of your mental health or you should be like have anything kind of thrown against you because of your mental health or whatever it is. It's, I think it is an injury and you yep. are pulling out of it because you are injured. It's just it's a mental thing and it's not <laughs> I'm physically broken. Yep. And, and that's, the, that's the reality of it. Like if, if she had blown her knee out, warming up or something like that we wouldn't even be talking about it we'd be saying oh that's that's really sad that that's happened but because it's a mental thing you know people get kind of crucified for it and I do understand why people are upset because it looks like she's just walking away from it but when you see what she does like if your brain's not in the right place you're going to hurt yourself 100% so I, I just look at it and just think you just need to chalk this one up to injury Mm. Um, it's not a traditional injury that you've seen in the past because you weren't allowed to do it. What would end up happening is people go out there and they either like hurt themselves trying to execute it or they go and they get themselves a nice, you know, like a nice drug habit off the, off the <laughs> side. Like you, you want to look at like, look at Lamar Odom and the mm -hmm. demons he carried his whole life and, and what ended up happening. Adriano with, with Inter Milan as well. Yeah, like yeah. there's, you've got these people who, you know, if if they're not allowed to get a break mentally, it's going to end up being something far worse. And, you know, when you're the first person to kind of break through the barrier, you're going to get a lot of hate. And unfortunately, this is another one of the firsts that she's, that she's done uh, in terms of being like a top Olympic athlete and saying, okay, I'm, I'm kind of leaving because of my mental health, but I expect to see it happen more in the future. And it's a good thing. Mm. No, look, I agree. I think that's what it is. It's uh, neither a, hey, good on you, and neither a, oh, shame on you. It's a, I'm injured. I've pulled a, a hammy, as it were, quote unquote, and uh, I can't perform to the best of my ability. And I remember, you know, earlier in, in the week watching her, uh, in the first round of whatever the event was for the gymnastics, I think it was like a floor event or, you know, when they do, when they go through all of the the motions and she was on the floor and mate, the, just the, the height she was getting on her jumps to do the, the, the tricks that she does in the air. No other woman was getting anywhere near that. And you see it in the scoring that even when she was landing sometimes and it might've been uneven or she wasn't hitting exactly where she did, she was still above and beyond in the score compared to anyone else in the field, which further um, highlights the level of complexity that 
uh, this, you know, athlete is really working with. And if she's not a hundred percent, one mistake here or there, and, and you break a neck, you, you, you know, you break a leg, et cetera. And, you know, that'll stick with you for life. So I get it. I understand it. She, and like you said, because it's uh, an invisible injury, really, it's just very hard for the public to judge. And we're trying to just not make more of it than it needs to, or less, just it is what it is. But for the for the general public, it's just very hard still to wrap our head around, uh, this person is just mentally not switched on to do this. And so um, then they shouldn't compete because of also the high level of, of injury that's related to it, right? And, you know, someone was telling me, Eric, I'm keen on your thoughts here is, you know, is that a failure of her sort of performance team? You know, someone at that level usually has a sort of a mental toughness coach. They might have a, some, you know, other forms of professional coaches, et cetera. Um, did one of the messages not go through? Just something, you know, she got a panic attack and, and she just couldn't shake it at all. And we just have to put it down to that. Well, whenever you're dealing with with these kinds of things, because I mean, I've I've had similar things with being like burned out at work, where it's like not the same scale, but mm. you're you're fine until you're not, and it's not like it's not like you're running a machine where it's like you can you have sensors wrapped into it and you can watch the trends and go, okay, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. You, you power through a lot of it and then eventually you just get to this point where you're like, all right, there's no more gas in the tank now. Um, and I, I don't think it's so much it's a failure of people missing it or not seeing it. When it's never happened before, what do you base, you know, what, what do you base your analysis on? I just think that, you know, when you're dealing with people's brains, there's so much complexity wrapped up in it that it's... It's, you're never going to hit every single one. And that point where somebody is basically saying this is enough for me is different for every single person. Um, I think, you know, maybe they could have had, you know, better systems to kind of support her under times of stress and that sort of thing. But if she's not reporting it in, how do you know? Like it's, it, it's a difficult one. So I, I hope that you know, they find uh, a way to kind of put systems in place, not just to help her, but to help all of the athletes. But a lot of the time it starts with, you know, having the type of relationship and system where you can actually get in there and freely communicate and talk about what you're scared of, what's not going right, which is for a professional athlete, that's just not something that you do. Like a lot of the time you're going to believe you're invincible and to walk in and say, hey, I'm having trouble with this. I'm scared of this. I'm worried that this thing's not going to happen. You know, sometimes people just don't even want to voice that into reality. Mm. So it's, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a perfect solution for this that makes sure that it never happens. Uh, because ultimately, at the end of the day, nobody except for the person who's living in their head actually knows what they're going through. So it's it's a sad thing that she's kind of going through that at the moment and she's had to put up with, you know, I, I was surprised at how vitriolic a lot of it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, in 10 years' time, she'll be able to look back and think I did the right thing at the time and I kind of opened the door for more athletes to, to deal with the mental health aspect of, of being a professional athlete. Look, well said, mate. And just on the vitriol piece, this uh you know and it's existed for a long time it's just always interesting to see it whenever something like the olympics come around just the the american psyche and when it comes to the obsession with winning and just being number one um in everything and not sort of taking a step back and going you know the person who won silver or bronze is like literally the top three best of what they do of anyone in the world and for whatever reason, and you know, I'm sure there's deeper psychological things here and in the history of their country and how they were formed and everything that's happened in, in their culture, is, there's just this whole, if you didn't win the gold, you've, you've lost and they don't actually celebrate the fact that they've had so many silvers and bronze medalists. And you know, I find that a shame for a lot of these athletes, going back to their athletes and their mental well-being and health, and that is you know, they feel like they've disappointed a whole country and their family and the fans, etc. Whereas you look, you look at our culture um, in contrast, and even when 
Ariane, uh, you know, got a silver versus Katie Ledecky or someone else did. And I think, you know, even Emma, she didn't win at one of the, one of the finals. It was like, yep, fantastic. You, you gave it your best. You really did very well. And okay. You came in second, not the end of the world, or you came in third, whatever. And we sort of tend to embrace our people when that happens. And imagine someone like Jessica Fox at the last Olympics, uh, the fact that she didn't win gold and she wouldn't have heard the end of it if she was American. And then this time around, she, she got it done and, and good on her. But yeah, it's just a, another one of those observations and interesting contrasts between cultures across different countries. And yeah, it is really weird, the whole, you know, the, the whole American culture around winning and how important it is to be a winner. And look, I mean, you just look at Donald Trump. Like mm-hmm. there's, you, you look at the, there is this piece in their culture where winning is celebrated over all of these, all of these other things. Um, and in, there's something in British and Australian culture that celebrates people having a crack which, which I think is, is kind of missing. Like, like Eddie the Eagle with the Brits, like they, they loved him. And when, I don't know if you remember at the Sydney Olympics, they had Eric, Eric Musambani from Equatorial Guinea. He was the, the guy who had the 50 meter freestyle and he'd never swum 50 meters before. And he <laughs> almost drowned. He looked like I was sitting there watching it thinking, this guy might not make it. And when he got to the end, the, everybody in the grandstand is like on their feet clapping and Speedo gave him a sponsorship and all of this kind of stuff where we we really respect people getting in there, having a having a crack at it. And I guess more more recently, I've, I forget her name, but the, the girl who crashed out of her BMX mm-hmm. heat um, yeah. and she was coming out saying, oh, look, I feel like I failed everybody. And the reporter's like, what are you talking about? You haven't failed anybody. And I was like, that's that's exactly how I expect um, Australians to kind of react. And, I, and I, I think the other part of it is there's the more you have, the less you kind of value some of these smaller things. Mm. I remember in like Papua New Guinea has won one Commonwealth gold medal. It was a lady, I can't remember her name, but she won it for lawn bowls. And when she got into the final, the whole country stopped and nobody nobody knows lawn bowls in PNG because it's such a, a colonial type sport. It's weird to have somebody from PNG play that, but the whole country stopped and they were like, this, this is amazing. This is incredible. And, you know, it's because they, they never kind of, of win anything. And I think with the U S they compete in so many different events and, you know, there's, there's only so much press time. So people tend to focus on, you know, on the, the people that won and not so much the other kind of stuff that went on, which is, yeah. which is yeah. sad. Um, that's yeah, look, it's a great point. Like when you're so used to it all the time, uh, yeah, it makes it harder to sort of embrace anything below that as well. So yeah, there is something to be said to that. Just interesting given there are rates of obesity and lack of exercise there that these people feel like they can actually give an Olympian shit for not winning oh it's that's, <laughs> I, I, that's that's the bit I love where it's just like oh if this person had just done this and I was like mate <laughs> mate why are you sitting here on your keyboard like you've, you've got all the answers oh, mate <laughs> no it's so it's, true I just it's I forget which basketballer said it but um he was basically saying he wasn't a wasn't a great basketball player, he, uh, Scalabrini. Oh, yeah. He, he was saying, look, you don't think I'm a good player, but I'm closer to LeBron James than you are to me. <laughs> and that's the, so that's the reality of professional athletes yeah. where you'll look at it and just say, oh, this person doesn't look that great at what they're doing, but they're doing it at, like, at a ridiculously high level. Yeah. And everybody you see at the Olympics is doing what they do at a really high level, and that has taken years for them to get in the position to be able to do it. So, you know, everybody who goes out there deserves respect as, as a competitor, regardless of where they come. Like the journey to get there is, is immense for, for an Olympic athlete. So, like, I think all, all the people competing, they should be celebrated for it. it takes a lot of work. 100%. Um, however, Eric... You said everyone that's competing should be celebrated. And I have issue with some of the sports that make it into the Olympics, mate. Um, BMX, golf, skateboarding, surfing, 
even soccer, rugby sevens, I just don't understand why a lot of these sports are actually Olympic sports. I don't think they should be Olympic sports. I think uh, they just take away from some of the, the airtime that potentially other genuine Olympic sports um, should be taking. What's what's your general thoughts on on some of the stuff that I just mentioned that has made its way into the uh, into the Olympics and what should be done about it? They suck. Like, I don't I don't understand why golf is there. Like it, it, like this didn't bother me until you told me the other day, and then I was <laughs> sitting there on the way home from work. I was like, why the hell is that sport in the Olympics? Because you'll you actually bump other sports out. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but I'd be keen to see what got pulled to make the space for for these other sports mm. because you know a sport like like the, the bmx one i was like why why is that there but then i was thinking you know this is a bike race the other one's a bike race why do i like what do i care but then mm. like golf and and surfing i'm like what why are they here they're not even like they're not even sports that are really widely played by no. by everybody like who's who's surfing in latvia like there's like there's there's all of these landlocked countries that aren't really going to ever have a competitor for for these sports so mm-hmm. i just you know I, what should be done is they should just be kicked out of the olympics i think the solution is very the solution right. is very clear like there's it, no reason why golf needs to be in the olympics three by three basketball like why why is that in the olympics i don't i don't understand <laughs> uh, yeah uh I, I don't understand why that one's there either. And out of all the ones that you'd think I would be sympathetic to, it's probably that one. But I, I looked at it, I was like, this confuses me. I don't understand what I'm looking at. I've never heard of this sport before. And I was like, how have I never known that this was this was going to be a sport? And none of the professionals are playing it because nobody cares about it. So it'll it'll be here and it'll disappear again, uh, you know, until the Olympics rolls around next time. I... I I have respect for the people that do it. I just don't believe it should be in the Olympics. <laughs> and and my, I mean, just to be honest as well, I reckon cricket has much of a has much of a case as baseball to be in the Olympics. I love I like baseball. You know, I'm, I'm a sports nut. Like I watch I watch MLB games like just for fun. I sit three hours watching a baseball game. So I'm not hating on on the sports as sports, but. I mean, it can't be that many more countries around the world that I have a genuine chance at winning baseball compared to cricket. Lebanon isn't playing baseball, and South no one in Africa is playing baseball, right? Um, you have the South American teams, yet it's in um, it's in the Olympics. I, to be honest, I don't get it. Soccer, football, right? I think the World Cup is the pinnacle stage for representing your country um, in football. No one across the um, sort of football fandom world actually cares that there's soccer on in the Olympics. If anything, there's more time taken up now by transfers and and who's going where in Europe versus um, anything that's happening in the Olympics. And so for me, even rugby, like why is rugby sevens in the Olympics? I think anything that sort of limits the potential contention to lower than 20 countries or 25 countries, I think you shouldn't be an Olympic sport because you're really not, it's not the whole participation and inclusion um, mantras that the Olympics is about. It's a very limited subset of humanity that even sees these sports on a daily basis. I mean, you talk to anyone about rugby, it's like, I think it's sort of very skewed to specific Western countries that want some of these sports in there. Um, I just don't see the the value, to be honest. And um, I'm sure the athletes will disagree and they, they want the experience and they want to go there and a gold medal is a gold medal for your country. But I feel like it it's sort of taking the mickey out of what is genuine Olympics and, and what should be an Olympic sport. And and for me, the, the general rule, and yes, there's always exceptions, but the general rule is if the pinnacle or the, 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 the climax of your game is to win an Olympic medal, right then that sport should be in the olympics if it's much of a muchness like i don't think anyone would rather win the olympic medal over the masters or the pga championship right or the open um in britain like i don't think any of the golfers will trade 
one of their one of their um i wouldn't even be surprised if it wasn't on the wikipedia page <laughs> like whoever wins gold they just like, like roll through you like who I, mean? Cares? I mean would you rather win the rugby world cup or or the olympic gold for your country right yes judo i get it karate um i get it um even like from an international perspective boxing i understand um and then all of the other obviously um you know swimming and track and field that's what the core olympics is about anyway the the athletics um rowing etc but tennis i mean do we care that ash Barty and i don't even know who she was playing with won the doubles and they didn't even win the doubles actually novak um, <laughs> novak decided to chaka chaka hissy fit and then he didn't win he didn't play, even play in the game do we really care i mean yeah okay nice she won a bronze but i'm sure she'd rather win wimbledon yeah you know? so yeah i don't know i just thought it was a, another one of the observations throughout the last eight or nine days where i'm like hmm i'm not sure most of most of these sports should be on the olympic schedule yeah i i'm i'm with you and you know, we were talking about it with um, when we were talking about the seven app before, and I just I don't care enough to to watch it. And mm. I know that there's going to be people out there who will want to watch it, and that every four years or so, that's the only time they get to watch it. But I have that's not the case for golf or mm. for rugby seven. Like mm. that's going all year round. I always have an opportunity to see it. I'm much happier with like something like archery being there which is kind of obscure and then every four years there's this opportunity to be an olympic gold medalist that i'm i'm with you i think your rule kind of makes a lot of sense but you know there's there's however many majors each year there's however many tournaments for rugby sevens there's the rugby world cup there's you know there's there's even a baseball world cup as well yeah there's you know i just don't I don't see the value in having it in the Olympics. Oftentimes I think these sports like golf is, I keep coming back because it's the one I hate the most. I honestly think that one is there because the Americans think they're most likely to win it and they want to chuck another medal on there. So they lobbied for it. And I was like, there's like, no one cares. Like nobody cares that this is, that this is in the Olympics and no one's going to watch it. hundred percent. Look, I'll tell you like three sports that I love, um, that are in the Olympics and I don't really watch them outside of the Olympics, but I reckon they're awesome. That's volleyball, right? Watching these 215 centimeter men spike the shit out of a ball. Um, and the way they set each other up, it's just fantastic. Handball. I was going to say like, handball. Handball is otherwise known as European. Man, that sport is so underrated. It's, it, it is. is like, it has its own league in Europe. I know that people follow it. Dude, I think it's, it's epic. I reckon it's a fantastic sport, and it's I think the exact place the futsal should have gone. It's it's just it's it's <laughs> awesome. Like I watched the first time I watched, it, I was like, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm really enjoying watching this. No, man, <laughs> love it, love it. And then uh, a sport that I have mad respect for because it just looks so hard is water polo. And these guys, man, you got to be like you're you're swimming and then you're trying to float and then at the same time you're trying to hit passes and and sometimes you're tackling people and you're trying to everybody's trying to drown each other as well like when you (laughs) see under underwater footage you just this is the dirtiest sport i've ever watched in my entire life 100 and um so yeah like looking at these i'm like fantastic that's where they need to be but yeah i think some of the ones we mentioned someone needs to sort of um you know say you know what logic needs to prevail and we just don't need these in the, at the olympics and just let the attention be on on everyone else who should be there but yeah man i think yeah it's been a really cool games and i've enjoyed watching a few different games it's been good yeah look i think i think i'm i like i, I love watching the track and field um i started watching the 10,000 the men's 10,000 meters last night and i fell asleep but i was exhausted <laughs> it wasn't because it wasn't interesting i'm going to go back and when i drop off this i'll go back and watch the replay I, I i love watching track and field because you know it's it's one of the ones that i've been able to do as a kid growing mm-hmm. up like i know like I don't know what it's like to run a nine second hundred meter, but I know what it feels like to run a hundred meters. And then the distance between what I was ever capable of doing and these guys, it just blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. I've, it's like, there, there's some aspects where I, I love watching track and field. Cause I've had a crack at all of those, um, all of those sports. So it's um, I've, I've, I really enjoy watching the track and field aspect. 
Awesome, man. Hey, just before we let you go, boom is a chance of a medal. I don't want to jinx us. <laughs> the, this is this is the one that I like. I, I was looking at the the squad. I was talking to a mate at work about it. I was looking at the squad. And I was like, that if 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 Patty can really play well, I was like, this team feels like like the starting like the starting five. I was like, this this yeah. looks alright. Um, but like Baines is injured and they're just not very big. But I want to say I think they will. <laughs> wow! But I was, but I was also sounds like, so confident. Well, I was, but I was just like, I, you know, I've, I think we've had squads good enough to do it if things roll the roll the right way. Mm. Um, but this, you know, it, we'll we'll have we'll have to see. But I, I think they're a good chance. Um, Bane's being injured, you know. And he's probably the biggest guy on the team, <laughs> and we we oh, need no. a little bit of size. But I think also the US is out there trying to make life difficult for themselves at the moment. I just think it's it's a weird Olympics because you've had the COVID thing, um, and everybody's just exhausted. Like I think there's a mm. lot of like physical and mental exhaustion that makes this one a little bit different to to some of the the other Olympics that we've had previously. But um, I. I, I want to see Australia medal here because I don't know what that team's going to look like in four years' time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not like I didn't know Tybal played for Australia. Oh, he's so I looked good, at I, I looked at the, the the stats sheet when I could finally see it. I was like, what What's he doing there? <laughs> I was like, how did how did he qualify for this? And with no Ben Simmons as well. So mm. I think the um, I, th- I think the team has a really good chance of meddling. I really want them to to medal um, because I just I don't know what's coming down the track. And if it's anything like the like the opals, you know, there's there's some pain <laughs> in the future mm-hmm. that that you know you're gonna have to watch as a basketball fan. But um, I think they're good enough. But can can they get in there and execute? Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, let's see. Let's see how they fare against some of the bigger teams, which I think is where the issue will be given our size. But look, the heart, hunger, discipline, running the sets is always there with an Aussie team. And I don't think Ingalls had himself a very good game versus Germany. So he's hoping he turns it around uh, in the quarters. Slovenia beat Spain today. So they went undefeated as well. Luca had an average game, but they still managed to, to get on top. And so they'll be with us in the same pool playing the teams from the other pool. Do you reckon he's good enough to win this whole thing? Like, where it's like one game and it's not a playoff yeah, thing. I think so. Like, man. Like he can, he can, he's capable of a forty-point um, triple double. Yeah, yeah. He's. I was watching it. I was like, this feels like the kind of thing that's made for and, him. And Eric, it's international basketball, which he's a lot more used to compared to the Americans, right? Like the rules are a bit different. The three-point line's a bit, um, you know, closer to the ring, and. Uh, just the way it's officiated, it's different too. There's a, a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff just gets let go uh, at the FIBA level. So his cape. Do, do I think it will happen? I don't think so. I think there's a, a lot of other teams that are better than the Slovenian team. But is he capable of it? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Wouldn't be surprised. He's he's the type of player that I look at and think I wouldn't be surprised if he bounced out one of the one of the favorites just by having a ridiculously good night. And, sure. and what do you do with him? Like for sure. Look, and he had he had a, a crappy game by his standards. He still had uh, fourteen rebounds. He had twelve points. He had nine assists, and a steal. Right. So, and it was a very average game, and they still won. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I love that 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 stat line is a, an average Luca game. <laughs> yeah, he shows you what a ridiculous player he's turned into. Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks, E. That was awesome. Thank you, man. That was good fun. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Moan Friends Sports Podcast. We'll chat to you soon.